You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. What's up, Greg? How you doing, my man? What's up? <laughs> That's how we're going to start this podcast today with a what's up from Greg yeah. Bedard. All right. So last podcast we had, we looked at the offense. We looked at the, you know, the beginnings of the 53-man roster. As you explained last week, what you did was you went back the last few years. You took a look at week number two and looked at the averages for each position. For example, Patriots on average usually carry six guys on the edge, usually the last few years. Mm -hmm. And then you took those numbers, try to figure out your own numbers, see what the roster looks like. Again, last week it was offense. This week it is defense. But let's first get into the biggest issue overall before we look at position by position. There could be as many as 11, 12 new players on this roster, Greg, on this side of the football. Just talk about the influx of talent and how that affected your decision-making. Yeah, Nick, I think it's huge. And and I think it's huge for this team, and I think it's going to be huge in the roster cuts. Um, we talked about just the on, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, the impact that the receivers and the tight ends that they signed are going to have. And I would say it's, it's, it's an even bigger, quote-unquote, problem on the defensive side. When you talk about, look, they have to account for Dante Hightower, Matthew Judon, Kyle Van Noy, Davon Godchow, Henry Anderson. I mean, I I wouldn't say he's a lock to make the team, but I'd say it's pretty close. Jalen Mills. Um, actually, I have Henry Anderson uh, listed twice, but that's okay. Christian Barmore, Ronnie Perkins as top draft picks. And, and so that's eight guys right there. Then you have Montrevious Adams, who they signed who has been a fixture as the sort of sub-interior pass rusher, almost the Adam Butler replacement for now. Who knows? It could be Barmore by the end of camp. We don't know. So maybe that clears up an issue. Uh, Joshua Bledsoe, the safety that they drafted, who uh, was dealing with wrist surgery. So we haven't seen him on the field. Um, and and a guy like Raquan McMillan, who – from all appearances at camp, it looks like he's going to be in the mix. So you just talk about all those guys, you know, you're talking 10, 11, 12 players that now you have to make room for. And if you look at the defense that they ended up last year, yes, they, there were five guys who aren't back. Simon Butler, Calhoun, Jason McCourty, Terrence Brooks. And then if you, if, if you even say Therese Hall and Akeem Spence, 
who, who were on the roster at the la- end of last year, right, you swapped them out. You're still talking about three, four, five guys that you need to find space for on the roster because right. really the 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 numbers for the 25-man roster don't really change all that much. They're usually between defense and special teams players. They're around 28, 29 every year. And so now, now you're talking about if you are accounting for all these players, who goes? And to me, you're talking about you're going to have to trade or cut some recent draft picks that haven't worked out a lot earlier than the Patriots normally do. I mean, Nick, I don't know what you think, but I don't see any other way around it than that. Yeah, I mean, the influx of talent, like you said, when you spend the money that they spent this offseason, the good news is you're bringing in talent. I don't know if it's bad news or not, but the other side of that coin is that now you have a lot of tough decisions to make. And a lot of guys that fans might believe are going to make this team day one they might not be on this team because of so many new names. So let's get into the defense. Let's look at it position by position. Let's start with edge because right off the bat, Greg, I see that the 53-man average at the edge spot over the last few years hovers around six, right? So usually the Patriots like to have six guys that can play the edge. On your roster right now, you have four guys. You've got mm-hmm. four dudes. You've got Judon. You've got Uche. You've got Ronnie Perkins. You've got Wise, which, of course, leaves out a couple of names. Interestingly enough, you have the Patriots trading Chase Winovich, which we've talked about before. I don't think that's a huge surprise for the followers of the podcast. But then you also have included Anthony Jennings, obviously somebody who was drafted just last year out of Alabama. So let's just talk about the edge, Judon, Uche, Perkins-wise, how those pieces fit together, and then let's look at Winovich and Jennings, the guys that you have the Patriots trading. Yeah, so when we get into this discussion, and, and you were wise to bring up the the change in the 53-man average, uh, we also have to talk about defensive tackle, defensive line uh, at the same time because that's really where the extra spot or two right. are going. Right. Because I think – Look, could the Patriots get to camp and change their mind and say, you know what, we don't want, we're not going to play much base. We're going to go with, look, I normally they only go with four four guys anyways. They had the past couple of years. I only had them at five and, you know, cutting some good players. But, uh, you know, you're keeping an extra guy there. I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to do that. I mean, between Guy, Godshaw, Anderson, Barmore, and Adams, it's possible Adams could get caught, but uh, outside of that, I think those five guys are a lock. So all of a sudden you're losing a spot somewhere on defense for that right there. They could keep another guy because really they like to have a backup at each spot, but I'm just giving them five. And then you go to the edge and I have Judon, Uche, Perkins, and Wise. Those four are all locks to make the team. Um. Now, when you get into Winovich and Jennings, Look, they brought back Hightower. They brought back Van Noy. Now, those guys aren't quote-unquote edge edge players, but they have the versatility and have done it in the past where, you know, when I'm looking at putting together this 53, I'm like, all right, well, I have – if I'm playing a true true 3-4, which I think they're going to in base, 
then I'm only going to have two outside linebackers. I only need two backups. Then if you get the third down, remember, I I could tell you, I can't tell you how many times in minicamp that I saw how many times they had three safeties on the field. So that's another roster. That's another spot gone on the field. And so when you have Hightower and Van Noy, like say Judon gets beat up or Uche, you know, who's who's also a sort of tweener himself, or Perkins isn't ready, whatever, you run into issues at the edge. You always have Van Noy and Hightower that you can do something with. Right. As long as they have as long as they have decent backups at, at linebacker. And over there I'm keeping Bentley and McMillan. Okay, so we're getting into every position, Greg. Yeah, I, yeah. but 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 I, I but it's important because this is the whole crux of the matter. I just don't okay? want people to get lost. Like yeah, I, yeah. I want to make sure that they're following along with like kind of the eye because we just threw a lot of names at them, and I just want to yeah. make sure that they're keeping track. So right now, right. Greg has Judon, Uche, Perkins, and Wise, yes. a defensive tackle. You're adding a spot because again, you look at the talent that you have at linebacker and you say some of those guys at linebacker can play edge like high tower and van noy so that yep. allows you instead of walking into the season with six guys at edge like you usually do it allows you to walk in with four guys which also allows you to add to defensive tackle you usually walk in with four guys now you're walking in with five guy Godchow, anderson bormore adams now Safety also plays a role in this because, as you said, you can't count how many times you saw three safeties out there. So it's with yeah. that in mind that, you know, the 53-man average that we look at is usually three that they walk into the season with. You now have four. You have McCordy, Phillips, Duggar, and Bledsoe. So that is just to give people an overall big-picture look on how the pieces fit together and how one position affects another and why guys like Winovich and Jennings are on the trade block. Because, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong. You're basically looking at this and saying, okay, it's either Montrevious Adams or Winovich. It's Adams yep. or Jennings. Those are the decisions that you're making. And you've got to say, well, Hightower can't play defensive tackle. Van Noy can't play defensive right. tackle. So if there's a position that we can go a little bit light on this year, it's the edge because we have a contingency plan. Yeah, and and what do we know about this offseason with the Patriots on the defensive side of the ball? They, they obviously had a priority to beef up the defensive line, that they were sick of getting pushed around, that their run defense was terrible, and so they beefed it up. I mean, they brought back – they brought in four new guys on the defensive line and re-signed Lawrence Guy, who could have left. So I think you have to beef up there. And then you're right. I mean, when I look at Chase Winovich – Look, I don't think he's a bad player. I think he's a good sub player, sub package rusher. But, you know, at some point, and they drafted Romney Perkins, I think it was in the second round. Might have, um, been, third. Might have been third. Might have been third. It was their compensation pick, I think. Okay. Um, and he's a good football player. I mean, they could have just, if they didn't draft Perkins, you're like, okay, well, Winovich is on the team for another yeah. year. He's depth. They draft Perkins. I mean, maybe somebody gets hurt and this clears it up. But, yeah, you're talking, when it gets down to it, you're talking, like, in the mix for the final couple spots on, on defense are Adams, Winovich, Jennings, Bledsoe, maybe, like, McMillan, Bentley, those type of guys. And I'm sure I'm sure people will be out there, ah, I'll just cut Juwan Bentley. He sucks. 
you know, he blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you still got to line up. Like, you could say that in a vacuum, but Juwan Bentley, they obviously like him. He's on a lot of the special teams that I saw in minicamp. I don't think he's the, the greatest player in the world. I don't think he's a bad player. I think he's very middling, but at least he gives you he at least he gives you coverage. I mean, if Dante Hightower goes down at injury, you can't just play Chase Winovich. You need somebody there. And you know, is it do you need two backups? I don't know. Uh, but they probably play a lot of special teams. But you know, you, you're right. I mean, the the thing that's gonna jump off is Winovich and Jennings. I think Winovich is a good player. I just don't see with Uche and all these different guys, I just don't see where he fits. I don't see where, and this is something we've talked about for a long time, even more after drafting Perkins, free agency. Like, when the hell is he going to play? What's he going to play? Like 10 snaps a game? What's the point in that? You might as well try to recoup your draft pick. And then Jennings, Nick, to be honest with you, I didn't I didn't see him. At, I, I didn't recognize him at all during minicamp. And yes, he's a saving favorite. Yes, he's from Alabama. But th- this defense needs to get faster. That's not really part of his his repertoire. Um, they made wholesale changes. Some people have to go. And I think that Winovich and Jennings are, they're expendable. And if, if I'm the Patriots, I'm trying to get as much as I can for Winovich get him out of here. Hopefully there are hopefully there are injuries around the league that gives them that opportunity, but I I just don't see I don't see where they play on this team. Well, I think the next question is if you are dealing Winovich and Jennings and I think you are being logical as far as looking at the pieces. If people want to disagree, that's fine. You can disagree or agree about an opinion. Everybody's got opinions. But Greg just gave you the reasoning. You can't argue with the reasoning why Winovich is going to go. So let's say that Winovich and Jennings are going to get dealt. Do you think they have value? Let's start with Winovich. Do you think if Belichick calls teams, he has value? And if he has value, what's that value look like? Yeah, I I do think he has value. I mean, I think he's a good football player. Yeah, I just don't think he's a fit for this team, especially if he's going to, he's going to stay on the edge. Uh, and we have no indication that they, they would move him to inside linebacker. Um, you know, I think his, I think his, his compensation, because he's what, this would be his third year in the league. He was a third round pick. I would say somewhere, somewhere in the three to five range is his value. I don't think Jennings has any value. I think he was, if I remember at the time, I think I reported, other teams said he was way overdrafted. Yeah, by the Patriots, and so I don't think he, he. You know, you might be able to get a sixth or a seventh, but I, I think I don't think he has any, um, any real value. Um, but I do think that Winovich does, and I. This is just sort of internet offseason um, discussions that are going on, but I did see somebody somewhere in the web universe mentioned. A possible like Winovich going to Pittsburgh would make a lot of sense, and there's no there's no there's no rumors of it happening. There's no rumors of any discussions taking place. It was just some guy saying like these trades should happen. I think that's I think that's a I think that's a good call. I mean, do you want to see him play for the Steelers? No, but I think his style, the way he plays in a three four, fits more with Pittsburgh and. 
they have a lot of depth issues on the edge. I mean, to me, I think that that type of trade, you prefer it to be out of the conference or someplace else, but it does make a lot of sense to me. Two things about Jennings before we move on. Number one, kind of reminds me of a linebacker version of Duke Dawson, where, uh, you know, Dawson was, I think, more highly regarded than Jennings. I think some people did have Dawson being drafted in this, you know, late second, early third, whatever it was. But the idea of Belichick looking at the player and saying, yeah, it's it's just not going to work out. People might wonder if it's too early to cut Jennings or try to trade him. Again, this might be a Dawson situation. And when you mention about how he was drastically overdrafted, according to people that you have spoken to, is, is that really one of the best examples of why Belichick changed his approach this draft? I mean, we could look at last year's draft and say Jennings was one of those guys to go along with Joan Williams and some others, but he might be one of the last, hopefully, fingers crossed, Yeah, but one of the last guys that we look at and go, yeah, he he was a fifth, sixth round guy, and Belichick went with him because he knows Saban. He trusted his guy, and he just you know went with his gut and drafted Jennings. The the Tavon Wilson, Jordan Richards, yeah. yep. Duke Dawson Memorial. Uh, <laughs> what the hell was that draft pick uh, by Belichick? And you know, and hopefully it's gone because I I don't think he really had any this year. Or uh, yeah, I I don't think he had any of those. And and hopefully those are sort of the last ones but i you know i think it's a valid point i think you know and this is part of the reason why belichick got into this personnel mess and you can think whatever you want about belichick the coach and gm whatever i mean look he's won a ton but if you're a realist then you have to admit he could their personnel dealings completely fell down a, a cliff the last like three four five years i mean you know um you know, they're drafting, and a lot of it, the Joan Williams thing, same sort of boat where Bill's looking at specific roles for these guys and not asking the questions like, are they really, are they a good football player? Like, if we're in a fast game, is this going to work? Can Joan Williams cover anybody? Can Anthony Jennings, you know, does he have any juice anywhere to, to, to hold up? And, and where, what position does he play? All right, maybe you say, all right, he's going to be in goal line. All right, but where does he play? Where do any of these guys play? <laughs> and I think I think he answered those issues. I think I, I liked this class this past year. Yeah. Uh, they, they had to buy their way out of everything with free agency for anybody who wants to defend Belichick and, and, and the personnel the previous years. Um, they basically had to buy themselves out of what they did, and anybody should be able to admit that. And and they got to to reset, and we'll see how they do. But I think, I think uh, I just don't see Jennings as as a fit on this team. It, it didn't. It wasn't apparent last year either. And this year, with the amount of people that they brought in, there's even less clarity. Yeah, and it just reminds you of what happened in April. You know the way Belichick approached this draft again. As you said, there weren't really any reaches. You think about it; it was actually the opposite. I think a lot of people thought Mac Jones could go in the top 10 he goes to 15 a lot of people were shocked that Barmore got out of the first round Belichick trades up and you know the draft pundits would tell you gets great value uh with Barmore where he got him Ronnie Perkins was a guy who was ranked by a lot of these draft magazines and websites as a top 60 70 guy Belichick got him at I think it was like 90 
So it was actually the opposite. It was the antithesis of what we have seen in past drafts from Belichick, where he actually drafted guys that you knew they were somewhat names and they got him in spots that were lower than expected. All right, so we look at the D-line. I think all of us feel pretty good about that, honestly. Well, one one thing we didn't mention is Byron okay. Cowart. And I released Byron Cowart, okay. and that was painful. Um, but I think it's between Adams and Cowart there. And it could go either way. Adams isn't owed a lot of money. I don't think Adams buys you Winovich or Jennings. I mean, it could. But I really think it comes down to Cowart and Adams, and I just thought that, Byron Coward had his chance last year, you know, and he just he did not make the most of it to the point that the Patriots had to do a complete reshuffle of personnel in the defensive interior. If they were, if they were set with what Byron Coward could do, there's no reason there's no reason for Henry Anderson to be here, right? Um, or even possibly God Chow, even though they're a little bit different position. But that just tells me that Coward did not do a good enough job. And so I just don't see the rationale for keeping him. It's a competition between him and Adams for the fifth defensive interior spot. And right now I have Adams there. You know, we'll see what happens. All right. So at edge, we should just make sure everybody knows what's going on there. Rashad Berry, Tayshawn Bauer, gone. They're cut. Winovich Jennings traded. As Greg just mentioned, Coward, toughest cut on the defensive line at D-tackle. Uh, Bill Murray, Akeem Spence, Nick Thurman, Carl Davis, also all of those guys are cut. Let's jump to linebackers since we've already kind of covered some of that. Uh, yep. You've got Hightower, Van Noy, obviously. And then the final four I want to talk about, because Cam McGrone, I think all of us understand, he's going on IR with the ACL. So you've got Bentley and McMillan making the roster. You have Hall and Lange getting cut. Why do you have the end of the linebacker spot. And by the way, they usually walk in with four. Greg has them with four on the roster. Talk about the depth of that position and why you chose Bentley and McMillan. Yeah. So I think Hightower and Van Noy are the starting spots at linebacker. That's what, that's the gist of what we've gotten so far. So, so they're there and, and they're not on the edge or anything like that. Uh, you need at least one or two backups. Um, with the amount of three, four that they're going to be playing, I went with two. Um, look, I think, I don't think, I, I think Hall's a decent player, but I just don't think he's 53 man roster caliber. So then you get into Bentley, McMillan, and Harvey Lange for uh, two for the uh, final two spots. And I really liked Harvey Lange last year when I watched him on film for the Jets against the Patriots. The Patriots brought him back here. It was a little later in free agency, so it wasn't like he was priority. They liked him the first time he was here. Uh, could I see him making it over Bentley or McMillan? Yes, I could, um, and, and I could easily see that. Uh, but I, Lange didn't really jump out in terms of his usage and how he performed in the minicamp. I'm not saying he was bad or anything. It's just you know you could tell that Bentley and McMillan were way ahead of him on the pecking order. Now, Lange is also known for his special teams. We all know how that factors in for Belichick. So to me right now, and this is just a snapshot of what I see so far, I have Bentley at McMillan. But if you told me that Lange makes it over one of those guys by the end, no, it would not surprise me. All right, let's jump to the secondary. Uh, Stephon Gilmore, we'll get to him in a minute in his tweet. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes. <laughs> but you've got 
You've got Gilmore. No surprises here. I mean, you've got Gilmore. You've yep. got Jones. You've got J.C. Jackson. You've got Jalen Mills. You've got Miles Bryant. Uh, again, the team usually walks in with about five and a half cornerbacks every year. Uh, you have them with five. You cut four guys. So Joan Williams goes along with the Anthony Jennings. Holy crap, we screwed up that pick camp. Uh, mm -hmm. D'Angelo Ross, D. Virgin, one of the best names in the NFL, and Michael Jackson, another great name in the NFL. Uh, you have those four guys <laughs> getting cut. Uh, so just, I mean, again, I, I think it's obvious. Gilmore, Jones, Jackson, Mills, Bryant. Those are the guys we've all talked about, the guys we all expect. Anything you want to address that you know think you think might be a tough decision or a surprise, or you just kind of want to move on from that spot? No, I, I do think cornerbacks is worthy of a discussion just from the the point of I can't believe Belichick has let it get this thin there where he doesn't have any other. I mean, you know, Nick, you just look at it in black and white. If Stefan Gilmore holds out, they're screwed at cornerback. They're just. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could plug Jalen Mills in there and go the, you know, we're going back going to the Earthwind Moreland, Sterling Moore, Antoine Molden, uh, you know, route of guys yeah, that they're just like you feel about JC Jackson. Don't you feel like JC Jackson? Not not to say that you're wrong yep. about Gilmore, but at least they do have JC Jackson. I think Jackson is more talented than all of those guys you just mentioned. I mean, at least you could argue that Jackson could oh, be no a question. number one corner. Yeah, I'm just talking about in terms of if I'm just talking, yes, obviously everybody gets moved up a, a peg. So if Gilmore, say, is traded or holds out, and we'll get to that in a minute, then JC Jackson becomes the number one. Now I'm I'm fine with that. I think JC Jackson's fine. I'm I'm talking more what that does now at the second corner position. Right. You know, right. now all of a sudden you're talking Jalen Mills, who was toast in, in Philly, Miles Bryant, who I really like, and I think he's gonna be a player, but he's really small. Um you know, or you go a D'Angelo Ross, who, who I have released. He's really small. Now, now you're basically into Michael. Ja it's Michael Jackson and Juwan Williams for the for the last spot, and those guys are okay, but it's a long ways, and it's a long ways from where they've been. Nick was my point, and it's right. kind of like going back in time. But here's the other thing: when pa when the Patriots were plugging in guys like that and just getting away with playing Ben, but not. Ben, but don't break defense. They played primarily zone or at least matchup scheme in the back end. The Patriots now are one of the most man heavy teams, man coverage teams in the league. It's a, it's the key to their defense. It's why they went out and got, and the switch sort of happened when they got a keep to leap. And ever since then, they have been a predominant man team. They pressure all over the field. It allows them to go man-to-man. -man. They can send extra rushers. They can do amoeba. It's a big reason why they can do what they can or we think they're going to do on defense. And if you lose that ability, if J.C. Jackson can cover man, Jonathan Jones can cover man. The other guys, I don't know. Now, right. all of a sudden, if you have one weakness at man that's getting roasted all the time, now what happens? Now what? Are you going to play more zone? Now what does that do up front? So it's the whole key to their whole defense is playing man coverage. That's why I think Gilmore has them over a barrel. I think he knows it. But it just surprises me how they didn't draft anybody a cornerback, how they didn't sign anybody a cornerback to give them coverage. Um, but, 
you know, in general, nobody would be surprised at this group. I do not have Mills at safety yet because I think they need him at cornerback. That's where he was in minicamp when Gilmore wasn't out there. Uh, he does have that ability, but I think cornerback to me is a is a big the cornerback depth on this team is a big issue, and uh, especially with whatever happens with Stephon Gilmore. Yeah, I think when you say why didn't they, you know, draft anybody? bring in a, a natural cornerback, maybe, you know, more natural of a cornerback than Mills has been when he was in Philly. Maybe it's just as simple as this. Maybe they think more of Mills than we do. And maybe they say, no, he can play corner. Yeah. And he just wasn't taught the right way. Yep. Philly didn't, you know, Philly didn't do as much with him as we can do with him. I don't know if that's what they're thinking, but I, I believe that's what you could argue. Because at safety, you've got McCourty, Phillips, and Duggar. And you got Joshua Bledsoe making the team. Of course, he hasn't been practicing because of the cast and all of that. But you've got four safeties. So, you know, with with that hypothetical from Belichick saying, no, we like Jalen Mills. Like, we understand you think he's toast. And I agree with yep. Greg. I saw him play at Philly. And from what I saw from the player, it might have been coaching. I don't know. I'm not behind closed doors. But watching him on the field, his ass was burnt deep over and over and over again and he would get snookered by double moves constantly. Maybe Belichick believes, no, the dude's better than that. We can coach him up, and he will be fine. And if Gilmore doesn't bring his ass back, then we'll have J.C. Jackson, we'll have Jalen Mills, and I think we'll be good with Jones in the slot. We'll be fine. We'll be able to make it with Bryant as the fourth guy on the depth chart. Maybe. I would say that's a risk, obviously, mm -hmm. but maybe that's what he's thinking. We didn't draft a guy because we got Mills. Uh, anything else you want to cover? Because we've got to move along to the Gilmore tweet. I also uh, obviously want to have the question of the week. Anything else as far as this secondary at safety, what sticks out to you? Special teams, I don't think would surprise anybody. Folk, Bailey, Cardona, Slater, Davis, Bethel, Brandon King is the guy that is on the outs. Quinn Nordeen, the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast, uh, special teams member of the year. Uh, <laughs> he, he is being cut on your roster. Anything else that you want to cover regarding this defensive starting cast and roster that we have right now? No, just that we, you know, I have Bledsoe on the team. That's a big projection because we haven't seen him on the field yet. But, you know, and he was just, I think, a six-round draft pick. So he could be easily cut. They normally only keep three safeties. That's not including any of the special teams guys um, like Cody Davis and, and – um, you know, Justin Bethel and those guys. Um, and that's a, yeah, I would like to see Nordine on the practice squad and see what happens later. I just don't think the Patriots are in any sort of roster shape to think about keeping two kickers on the team, you know, yeah. big legged kicker. I just don't think that they're at this point. That's another spot that would go. Um, and you know, this isn't fantasy football, you know, it, it my, my one request when people Nick, and I know you can appreciate this is, you know, when people look at my 53 man and they listen to this and they go, you know, Bedard's crazy. He's a moron. He hates Winovich, blah, blah, blah. You can argue whatever you want. I don't, that's what makes the world. I, I don't, everybody has an opinion. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Okay. But when you come and you just say, you know, Bedard's an idiot. Why would you trade Winovich? All right, fine. Now tell me who you're keeping and why. Like, because you can't just say, well, you you need to keep these guys. You have to give me the other transactions and then, you know, how you're going to cover in those areas where you're now down a spot. Um, I think I have all the spots covered on this 53-man roster. Um, I could be wrong. But 
just make sure you offer a name when you're, you know, you're yelling at this podcast in the car and calling me an idiot. Make sure, you know, you're doing it right and you're offering a, another name. I'm going to keep Montrevious Adams here because blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that that's it. Yeah, and as I said a little bit earlier, listen, you, you can agree, disagree. We all have opinions. They're like buttholes. Everybody has one. Everybody else, yep. you know, everybody believes everybody else stinks. It's the way it goes. But, you know, if you have logic, if you have reasoning behind your opinion, then it's, you know, it's just an opinion. It's it's not, you know, when you throw stuff up against the wall, that's when you deserve to get to get killed. Um, all right, let, let's jump to Stefan Gilmore. Uh, he made some news over the last day or so with the tweet. Uh, he was uh, quote tweeting, as they call it. I got to stop saying retweet. He quote tweeted the uh, CBS Sports headquarters tweet of the highest paid defensive backs, uh, starting with Ramsey at $20 million out there in L.A., uh, going down to William Jackson, who is the 10th highest paid defensive back in the league, thanks to Washington at $13.5 million uh, AAV. And so Gilmore quote tweets this graphic and just says, oh, okay, dot, 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 dot. Your thoughts, your thoughts on the quote tweet from the Gilly Lock. Uh, my my thought is doesn't sound like an extension's coming anytime soon. Now, look, that may be the case right now. That doesn't really mean anything. If you know, one of the things I've learned over the years covering the Patriots is like they don't, especially now. Look, look, everyone's on vacation in the NFL, including the Patriots, and there's no shame in that. Uh the normally there's a break in a lot of stuff that goes on. And then about the couple days, the week when camp's supposed to start, I think, I think the Patriots are supposed to report around July 28th, 29th. And then they'd start, I think practices on that weekend. And the first three practices can't be padded. Um, a lot of stuff gets done the week of training, the start of training camp or the first week of training camp. And uh, so, it doesn't surprise me if not much is going on with the Patriots on the contract front that if Gilmore thought this was a lock that he was going to get an extension from the Patriots or they were going to rectify everything, we would not see a tweet like this. So, I mean, to me, it sounds like Gilmore's not thrilled about what's going on. But, look, time is on the Patriots' side a little bit. I'm not overly alarmed, but like we talked about, I think Gilmore realizes uh, how key he is to this defense. My other thought, Nick, is this guy does realize that he's coming off a torn quad, right? Like, it, it, sometimes I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Like, first of all, <laughs> he was not he was not defensive player of the year last year. He had a good season. I wouldn't say it was a great season. He got off to a slow start. It was very inconsistent. And he's coming off a torn quad. And he thinks he should be paid... 15 20 million dollars for this season no i'm sorry if i'm the patriots i'm like no i need to see you on the field then we could talk about it but absent of that i don't have a problem with 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 pushing the contract issue with gilmore it's just you know what's his reaction gonna be yeah i don't have an issue either i mean he is now on the other side of 30 years old which is a thing uh as you said you know he he got his money i mean he got a huge deal the last time around uh the patriots gave him that little bump Last year, they pushed money into last year to, to make him happy. And I understand him looking and saying, I deserve more money than I'm going to make this year. I don't disagree with that. But I also don't disagree with the Patriots saying, 
you know, hey, listen, Stefan, you're not worth, you know, top four or five money right now when you're coming off the quad, when you have, you know, the age situation that you have right now. There are reasons why. There are legitimate reasons why the Patriots might not be willing to pull the trigger outside of, oh, they're just cheap. I mean, there, there's legitimate reasons why you might not want to funnel a four-year big fat-ass contract extension to Gilmore right now until at least, like you said, you see him on the field. You see how he's moving around. You, you see what he looks like. Yep. The other thing I'll say is this. I don't know what he meant by it. I mean, I, I think we can look at this a couple of ways. We can look at him kind of making a statement to the Patriots and saying, oh, okay, so you guys won't pay me. Look at all these dudes. Look at what they're getting paid. The other part of it you can look at, though, and just say Gilmore could look at it and say, well, oh, okay, so those are the highest-paid cornerbacks in the league? I'm better than all those dudes. So I don't know if he was, like, you know, giving a self-brag and saying, like, oh, look who's look who's making the money. I'm better than all these cats. Or if he was trying to take a shot at the Patriots, or maybe he was trying to accomplish both. Overall, I would say this. I'm not a big fan of the cryptic tweets. I don't think they serve <laughs> a purpose. Um, you know, just speaking from, from my point of view, uh, being in radio, I have had to deal with some negotiations and, you know, if I'm in the middle of negotiating with somebody, my boss, I, I don't say stuff publicly. I, I try to keep that because to me, it doesn't really accomplish much. No, the, the Patriots know who you are, Stefan. Uh, they paid you <laughs> handsomely the first time around. They know what you make. They certainly know what other cornerbacks make. So I just... I know he might be trying, if this is the angle of taking a jab at the Patriots, he might be trying to win public approval. I just, I'm a fan of, do your business behind closed doors. You don't have to send a tweet. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows you want to get paid. Take care of your business. If you're going to hold out, hold out. I don't need the OOK cryptic tweet uh, this week. I, I don't need it in my life. Uh, let's jump to the bostonsportsjournal.com member question of the day. $39.99 on their annual plan. And of course, gives you all sorts of great access and analysis to uh, the Boston Pro Sports scene. You get Bedard, video analysis and the coach's film, direct access to him in weekly chats. Uh, we got two questions, but they tie together. Uh, the first one is, Greg, here are my concerns. Uh, what if we still don't have a wide receiver who can win outside the numbers? And kind of related to that is, Will the Patriots be able to create more big plays on offense? This, more than anything, is where they missed the old quarterback. He was the only guy who could throw 50-plus times or pull off multiple 10-plus play drives per game and win at a high level. Okay, so I thought this was a good question and intertwiner, too. Good couple questions. Um, number one, as far as winning outside the numbers, um, first of all, we could get in a whole philosophy discussion but we won't do that i'll just say that look nelson Aguilar, nelson Aguilar and kendrick Bourne have the potential to win outside the numbers or produce big plays i mean they just do especially Aguilar. i think he's really good off the line from what i've seen um he catches the ball well down the field um I don't really have any qualms. And here's the other thing, and this goes into sort of our QB, rolling QB discussion between Mac Jones and Cam Newton, is it's not always it's not always just up to the receiver to create space or to create big plays. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, 
Mac Jones was calling it's, you. I wanted to make sure. Yeah, Mac Jones. A little bit here. Hey, Greg, what's going on, man? Uh, <laughs> so it's not just up to them. Like sometimes it's up to the structure of the offense. And and here's the thing and why I think Mac Jones is going to play quicker rather than later with this team if the if the personnel stays the way it currently is. Um, he's really good at play action fakes. And that's a big component of what this team does, especially when you're going to have a lot of runner, uh, a lot of good running backs, a really good offensive line. You have two tight ends that you could do different stuff with. Play action is 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 a huge key and and really creates a lot of space. And that's one of the things where everybody's like, "Oh, the offense last year, Cam Newton couldn't do this, he couldn't do that, and guys weren't open." Blah blah blah. Yeah. Well, if Cam Newton was better at the little things in this offense like play action fakes and this was something that I brought up when they signed him as one of my one of my concerns with Cam Newton um then maybe there would be a little space more space for people and so it's not inside the box you also have the tight ends who they didn't have the tight ends last year in the middle of the field all of a sudden that opens things up for the team so i think in in terms of having mac jones who's better at the little things uh the personnel makeup and also, you know, getting back and having controls at the line of scrimmage to change plays and audible this, which they didn't have last year. Um, the key to the Patriots offense is that you always have the answers to the test. No matter what the defense does, you have a counter, and which they couldn't get to last year. You combine all those things, and I think the Patriots can get back to – I think they get plenty of plays outside the numbers. I think they get plenty of big plays. Now, I mean, even with the way the Patriots were on offense last year, Nick, I just wanted to point out the Patriots were 13th in the league in explosive pass rate last year. I mean, look, probably a lot of it came uh, in the running game, and I'm just looking at that. Um, no, actually, they had a decent – oh, excuse me, that's passing. Looks like they were – in passing, they were 19th, and in uh, runs, they were 12th in the league. But overall, they were – 13th in the league and big play rate. And that's without much of an offense, without any personnel. You know, you increase both this season, and you're talking they're easily top 10, and you're hoping to get around five. And I think they have that potential if everybody stays healthy. So I'm not alarmed with it at all. So we covered a lot. We got your defensive roster set, getting ready for camp on uh, July 27th, I do believe it is. Uh, we had the Gilmore tweet that we covered and also a little bit of offense there at the end. Uh, hopefully that holds you over because you got your 4th of July weekend coming up. Uh, he's Greg. I'm Nick. We both want you to enjoy that weekend. Be safe. Be healthy. Uh, should be a great time uh, to have uh, some days off and just kind of kick back and relax and have some drinks if you're into that thing. Uh, we'll catch up soon. But for now, it is the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattle.